welcome to the first session in our Soundbite series on the importance of ESG in a project financing context. I am Aileen McCannon and I'm joined today by my colleagues Rachel Barrett and Ieza Gehon and we're going to be talking about ENS risk management in complex project financings. So it's noticeable in relation to ESG issues in project financing that there is often reference to international soft law standards in this space. Rachel, how have you seen those standards drive change in the market in this way? Yes, that's right. Um, this part of the financing market is a little bit unusual in that there are quite a few uh, soft law standards or international environmental and social standards uh, that are applied. Um, we're talking, for example, about the IFC performance standards and World Bank Group guidelines, um, the equator principles uh, and the OECD uh, common approaches on environmental and social due diligence. So there are quite a few and um, they're largely driven by export credit agencies and equator principles financial institutions who signed up to those principles. And they're really useful because they actually provide a framework within which uh, people can can orient themselves. Uh, when addressing environmental and social risks on a project. Now, they, they will apply differently to different types of projects and different locations. So, so you always have to look at them and, and figure out how they work for any particular project. But in general terms, they require the uh, assessment of environmental and social risks. They can be clearly identified. Um, they require a, a project to work out a management response to any risks that it's identified. Um, and then provide a framework within which lenders and, and sponsors can work together uh, to resolve any remaining gaps uh, going forward. So they are they are well worth looking at. Um, I think we're likely to see increased application of, of those standards going forwards and also uh, sponsors and lenders and export credit agencies drawing uh, on other sources, because as we know, there's a huge focus on ESG at the moment. Um, lots of new regulations coming into effect uh, which are a really fertile source of uh, of ideas uh, and other standards to benchmark against. So, for example, we're starting to see people look at the EU taxonomy um, and benchmark projects against that. That is not something contemplated by the soft law standards, but it's a new trend that we're seeing emerging as people use those regulations in a different way uh, to help them uh, better assess and understand projects and, and the relative risks that they present to the environment and the community. So I know we've we've talked a little bit about that increased focus on ESG. I know we've seen increased stakeholder scrutiny. So so not just lenders and sponsors uh, and export credit agencies thinking about about that, but also greater public awareness. Ears, is that something you've had to deal with? Yes, definitely. We're we're seeing this increase um, given the increased global focus on things like climate change, but also the social aspect, the S of ESG, so things like human rights as well. So in particular, we've seen that NGOs and indeed the public, you know, they're asking a lot more questions about how ENS risks have been identified, in particular through due diligence and also how they're being managed. So it's not just the identification, it's what does this mean for us? How managing this are the issues that need to be managed better in their view um, and so often actually these questions will come to the lens and the ECAs underwriting the transactions um, and then that in turn reflects onto the projects themselves. Um, and another aspect of this is that the latest information on the particular project is not always public um, so often NGOs um, and indeed members of the public may may want to seek further information or as much information as possible. 
um, in order to inform their view. Um, and so we can also see pressure coming from that perspective as well. So that's essentially the theory behind, you know, the increasing focus and the and the drivers behind, um, you know, how these soft law standards are changing the market. Of course, what happens in practice and how all of this is implemented also matters. Um, Alien, I know you have a lot of experience of this. What what can parties do to manage these risks? Thanks, yes. Yeah, there's a general acceptance that it's in the favour of all parties to identify and manage environmental and social risks and to do so as soon as you can. Um, the key way that this happens is through an environmental and social impact assessment or an ESHA, which is carried out by the project to identify their risks and is then scrutinised by lenders to feed into the lenders consideration and decision making of their investment in the project. We know that identifying ENS risks and issues can be complicated and fairly lengthy. Rachel, do you have any thoughts or tips from matters you've worked on on how to make this as efficient as possible? Yes, obviously the process of identifying environmental and social risks can be quite a complicated one and can take quite a bit of time. And also then if you if you have to subject your environmental and social impact assessment and your management response to lenders and their consultants um, for scrutiny uh, and for feedback, there's also that process to factor in as well. So I think the key point is the earlier you can start, the better, because um, you've got a better chance of getting everything done or everything shipshape um, by the time you get to signing your finance documents or reaching financial close. But also I think the focus on the working relationship with, between the parties is very important. So being pragmatic, being collaborative, uh, making sure everybody is communicating well uh, so that you can run a smooth process uh, and really get some constructive feedback from lenders as well if you're on the sponsor side, I think is very important. Um, it's important to remember that not everything has to be perfect. There is a really useful mechanism contemplated by the international standards that we've mentioned, uh, which involves the agreement of an action plan um, that uh, uh, stays in place after financial close and gives you a roadmap for, for closing out gaps uh, to the extent there are any. Now, there may be some issues that lenders would like to have closed before signing or before financial close because they're so important or because the project milestones are such that, that they need to be closed out by a certain date. Um, but for many actions, it will be possible to continue dealing with them after financial close, which provides you with a really useful tool uh, to carry on with your processes of assessing risk and managing them um, in a way that's pragmatic and, and works with the project timeline. Thank you. That that was all really, really interesting. I think, you know, one of the key takeaways for me is that clearly these international soft law standards are key in this area um, and they are increasingly driving um, the focus on ENS related risks and issues and also how they're managed. I don't know if Rachel, Aileen, you have any other takeaways on this? Yes, I completely agree. Yes, and I think it's really key that um, the risks are identified as soon as possible and there is work to be done to do that but there is a framework which is commonly used to do this and i think also just a, a focus on on practical tips really so um you, you start early uh, try and work together as best you can um, and really everybody being pragmatic about um working out the best way to to address risks uh, and issues that are identified and um, that's certainly a common theme and, and a common experience in the projects that we've had. Um, it can really help get the work done. Thank you both very much.